The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in an open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, good morning. good morning. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest, again, thank you for being here with us. It means a lot to us. You could be doing other things, but you're here. And so we're glad for that as we continue in this series, The Parables, looking at these stories of Jesus. And it's one of my favorite parables. And so um, I'm excited for us to walk through that this morning. And as I was thinking about the parable this week, I remembered this website that my friend shared with me called rinkworks.com. You've never probably heard it. You've probably never heard of it. And if you went there, it looks like it was created uh, as soon as the internet was created. It's not a pretty site. It hasn't really been updated. But here's what one of the things that they do is they um, condense uh, books, classic books, uh, down to one-minute reads. Um, so condensing them down to one minute or just a few sentences. And, and I want to share a few of those with you this morning. You'll be familiar with these. The old man in the sea, right? Some of you know that. Here it is. An old man catches a fish that's too big for his boat. The fish gets eaten by sharks. Then he goes home and dies. And that's you. So you don't need to read it. So you don't need to read it. You've got it. Locked in. Get the book report ready. Here's another one. Uh, a Christmas Carol. We know that one. Ebenezer Scrooge, bah humbug, you'll work 38 hours on Christmas Day, keep the heat at five degrees, and you'll like it. The ghost of Jacob Marley, Ebenezer Scrooge, three ghosts uh, of Christmas will come and tell you that you're mean. The ghost of Christmas, you're mean. Ebenezer Scrooge, at last, I've seen the light, let's dance in the streets, here's some money, right? So you've got it. Uh, Last one for you, Uh, the collective work of Jane Austen, if you know of Jane Austen's work. Here it is, it's condensed, here you go. Female lead. I secretly love male lead. He must never know. Male lead. I secretly love female lead. She must never know. They find out. The end. Right? And that's, that's it. That's what you've got. So go check that out. But as I was thinking about that, and I was uh, thinking about the passage this morning, I was thinking about the ministry of Jesus. And if, if you were to boil down the ministry of Jesus, uh, what would it be? What would be the heartbeat of that ministry? And I think here it is that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus is the mercy of God to sinners and sufferers. The deepest message of Jesus. And why does this matter so much? It's a good question. Because there is and there will be an active tension for every man, woman, and child when it comes to believing this and actually allowing it to sink in and to take hold. This mercy of God for sinners and sufferers. Why does this matter so much? Because as we'll see, as we look through this, we're all in need, but by God's grace, we're also all within reach. And so let me pray for us, and we're going to walk through this. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. And thank you for this passage today. 
I pray that you'd meet us where we are. Um, we bring in different things with us. We bring in different stressors. We bring in doubts. We bring in challenges. We bring in fears. Um, some of us are just tired. Some of us are joyful, excited. Some of us are expectant. Um, wherever you find us today, by the power of your spirit, would you just speak to us? Would you reassure us? Would your truth be abundantly clear for our good, for your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we ready? You're about as good as the 9 a.m. Uh, I can tell. We're all excited. Um, here we go. No, I'm, I'm sure you are. I need to stop asking that. Somebody's going to say that. It's true. Stop asking if they're ready. We're all ready. Here we go. I'm rambling. Let's start. Um, condense this to one sentence. Here we go. Um, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes, they were complaining. Here's what they said. They were grumbling with each other. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So these religious leaders, as they do throughout Jesus' ministry, they take major issue with the way that Jesus conducts himself, himself. Because essentially he is messing with the order that they want to preserve and that they really like. They didn't associate, <coughs> excuse me, with quote unquote sinners, but Jesus does. Now what exactly does this mean? Because aren't we all sinners? Aren't we all broken? Haven't we all done things, right? Absolutely. But in this time, this was a classification used to specifically describe the underclass, the tax collectors who would steal, the prostitute, the sick and diseased, right? The people with a criminal past. These were people the religious leaders despised and did not see as being worth their time and energy, but not Jesus. You see, maybe you have this idea in your head that Jesus just hung out with all the polished and good people and the, and the people in society that, that held the highest order and rule. That's not Jesus at all. This passage actually parallels one in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, hey, I didn't come to heal those who are well. I came to heal the sick, those who need healing, those who know that they're broken, those who are in need of hope. And he takes on a title in this passage. It's my favorite title of Jesus, a friend of sinners. As the message says it, I kind of love it, a friend of misfits. The broken, the rejected. He takes on this role. And it's key that we see it doesn't say he's an acquaintance of. It says he's a friend of. So there's a big difference between simply being an acquaintance and being a friend. For some of us, we really love the idea of being an acquaintance with the less fortunate, the marginalized, people with a rough past, a rough present. But what about a friend? That requires a little bit more because friendship means that you spend real time. It means that you know and are knowing the person at a deeper level. It means showing up even when it's not convenient and life gets completely messy. And it means this ongoing relationship without a timetable. Jesus wasn't an acquaintance to the outcast. It says he's a friend. He didn't hide out in the synagogue. He literally goes into the streets, into the darkest corners of society, and he develops a reputation, not just a one-time deal, a reputation as a friend to the unfriendly, the unclean, the immoral, and the often unloved. These were his people. And the religious leaders, they hated it. 
because they refuse to see themselves in the same category of actually being in need. And Jesus knew it. And because he actually loved them too, he would teach toward their hard, bitter hearts while also teaching the misfit, the scared, the scarred, the wondering heart that was curious if there was any hope for them or if these religious leaders were right. And so as Jesus does, he tells a story. So he told them the parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? So let me set this scene because this is really important. This is the shepherd, not a hired hand, right? This is the owner of the sheep. And imagine that the owner looks out over his little flock of a hundred and he counts them and he notices that one is missing. He counts 99 and he counts again and he comes up with the same number. And then he realizes which sheep is missing. Maybe it was the one with a little mark on its leg or a mark on its side. And he knows all about it. And he can see the sheep in his mind. While the 99 are together and they're in the pasture feeding safe and secure, his mind is consumed with the one. The one. The one is his sole focus. A sheep is lost. He can't shake this reality. He can't eat. He doesn't go home. He can't sleep while the one sheep is lost. He knows all too well that this hopeless, helpless sheep won't make its way back on its own. Is utterly defenseless now that it's left the side of its defender. For this shepherd, there's no decision to make. He has to go and he has to find the sheep. Now on paper, let's just point it out, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> if you can do math, this doesn't add up, right? You have 99. Why would you leave them for the one? In our time, you know what we'd do? We would just do a tax write-off. Seriously, <laughs> let the one go. We'll write it off. We still have 99. It doesn't make sense on paper. You don't leave the 99. You don't risk your own safety and protection to go out into the night, into the wilderness, to search for this one lost sheep. For the outsider looking in, we would say that this is a reckless move on the part of the shepherd. Reckless being defined in the Cambridge Dictionary is this, doing something dangerous and not worrying about the risks. Yet Jesus knows and the listeners knew that any truly good shepherd would do the same. Why? Because a good shepherd knows and cares for each one of his sheep and is willing to defend them at all costs, even if it means laying down his life for them. And that's it. God truly knows and he deeply cares. Hear it. He truly knows and he deeply cares about you. Yes, you. You are not just a face in the crowd. He loves the entire flock, but he is intimately intertwined with the one. He knows you. He knows your heart's desires. He knows your wrestlings. He knows your doubts. He knows your past. He knows what people have said about you, what's been spoken into your life. He knows what you say to yourself that you want no one else to hear. He knows you. 
This is the shepherd. As Tim Keller said, God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. God did not worry about the risk that his grace would cost. He went after the one. Here's the great news. He's still going after the one. He's still out in the dark. He's out in the field of millions and millions of sheep that are lost, many who don't even know it. And he's searching and he's there and he just wants to bring them home. This is the shepherd's heart. So the big question here, who's the one? Good question, right? Talking about the one, who is this? It's every single sinner and sufferer. Every single one. This is the mission of Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. It's what he came to do. It's me, it's you, and it's them. We're all in need of this rescue. It's the sinner, it's the proud It's the selfish, it's the thief, it's the prostitute, it's the addict, it's the hateful, it's the short-tempered, it's the violent, it's the one with the past, and it's the sufferer, the one that's been sinned against. It's the used, the abused, the abandoned, the neglected, the rejected, it's the forgotten. It's the orphan in need of a home, wondering if anyone will come for them, if anyone will love them. It's the widow in need of help, wondering if anybody really cares about my situation. It's the student that doesn't quite fit in, wondering if anyone truly sees them and wants to befriend them. It's for all sinners and sufferers. And we were all lost. Nobody gets an out. Don't be that prideful. We're all under this umbrella, born into it, hopeless, helpless, but someone's coming to the rescue. And that's the good news of the gospel. And at times we still wander. And so for both sinners and sufferers, we can wander away from the shepherd and the other sheep because in the midst of sin and suffering, here's what happens. Questions pop to the surface. And when these questions go unanswered or they're met with a lie, it can take us further and further away. Questions like this. How could God actually love me? Like I know God's love's for everyone, but I don't know that you really know me. How do I fit into this? Have I gone too far for his kindness? Maybe now I'm outside of it. Maybe what I did was too much. Am I too broken? Because you don't know my past. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've done. Am I just too broken for this? Does my past define me? Because man, I keep trying to move forward and I keep trying to move into this future and yet I still see my past pop up time and time again this ghost with a voice that's speaking all of these things into my life, does that define me? What if I'm really not lovable? Because man, I haven't been shown a lot of love. In fact, I've been shown a lot of the opposite. What if I have doubts? Uh, what, if, what if this thing doesn't change? What if things don't get better? What if, and fill in the blank. There's a short story by Ernest Hemingway. It's called The Capital of the World. And maybe you've never read this story. I would encourage you to read it. But if you haven't, in this short story, the main character is a young man named Paco. And while we aren't given all the details, we know that he either ran away or he was kicked out of his home by his father for something that he said or did. And Paco found himself wandering the streets of Madrid, Spain, with hopes of entering into a profession that would probably kill him, bullfighting. But this was the last thing that his father wanted when he found out, which is why he tried to do something desperate 
with this desperate hope that it would work. He knew that there was little to no chance that if he just went wandering the streets that he would find Paco. So instead, he put an advertisement in the local newspaper, El Liberal. And here's what the advertisement read. Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. And that was it. Now, Paco, it's an incredibly common name in Spain. And when the father went to the Hotel Montana the next day at noon, there were 800 young men named Paco waiting for their fathers, waiting for the forgiveness they never thought was possible. Desperately hoping. You know what I love about this is that when the shepherd finds the sheep, he doesn't punish it, he doesn't yell at it, he doesn't reject it, he doesn't shame it, he doesn't butcher it, he doesn't sell it. What does it say? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. In coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. The key term here being, I have found. That the shepherd finds the sheep. See, Jesus using the example of sheep throughout his ministry isn't by coincidence, it's not by mistake, it's not random. If a dog runs away, it will most likely find its way home. It can. Even a cat, if you want it to. Um, It will find its way home. But here's the deal. Sheep. Literally, they have no internal GPS. They would just wander in circles over and over and over, not making their way back home, not getting close, getting more and more lost. The theologian Augustine, he came up with this, or he shared this idea that there are really three ways that we can view our rescue, three ways that we can view our salvation, this relationship with God. One is that we reach up and find God. The other is that we find each other. And the third is that God completely reaches down and finds us. And as he makes so abundantly clear, God's word only points to one, and it's that last one, that he does all the work, that he literally reaches down and finds us, that that Jesus literally leaves his throne and comes down to live among sinners and sufferers so he wouldn't just sit all night in the dark, but that we would have this opportunity to be found and brought home. I have found. It's not because we twisted his arm. It's not because we've done enough good that he would love us. It's not out of duty. It's out of his mercy and kindness, period. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And so for the one who who would have never made it home, completely lost, alone, and vulnerable, we are now offered safety and security. But how in the world is this possible? Because the shoulders Jesus carried us home on and are carrying lost sheep home on are the same shoulders that carried a cross. The same hands that reached down to pick us up in the darkness of night from all the brambles and all of the mess that we were in and we got ourselves into are the same hands that were nailed to the cross to pay for this mess. And not just for a select few, not just for the good enough, not for the religious elite, not for the ones who make it to church every Sunday, not for the ones with a perfect past, the ones who grew up in church, not for the ones with perfect relationships, none of this. 
He would take all of our sin and he would take all of our suffering, everything that we've done and has been done to us, the pride, the pain, the anger, the aggression, the lies, the hate. He would take it all for the abused and the abuser, for the rich man and the orphan, for the loving mother and the disgraced prostitute, for the rule follower and the criminal, for the selfish child and the loner, for the helpless and the hopeless. And it would be that journey to that cross that would make this journey for the lost sheep to come home possible, putting sin to death and once and for all declaring that every man, woman, and child that will accept this free gift that comes from Jesus, this free gift of grace that you are now not what you've done. You're not, been what's, you're, not, you're not what's been done to you. You are not the worst thing in your past, present, or your future. God is literally saying, let me redefine what you think love is. Here's what this kind of love actually looks like. The love of a shepherd whose heart is with the sheep. It looks like sacrifice bathed in mercy, resulting in grace. God is telling you, you are unwaveringly and unconditionally loved, and it is my joy to bring you home. All is forgiven. Good news? Good news. And Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Maybe you've wondered at some point, could my salvation, my place in the family actually mean something to God? Is it really that meaningful? This parable, this beautiful story of Jesus answers that question fully, that there is joy in heaven, not just over the salvation of the flock, the hundreds, the thousands, the millions, but over one sinner who repents, who turns to Jesus, who says yes to Jesus, who is willing to give Jesus their worst and receive his best. And this is what Jesus wants us to see and what he wants the religious leaders to see. That each and every lost sheep that comes home matters this much to God the Father and that there are none above or below his grace. We were all lost. We were all in need of rescuing, and it doesn't take our work. It doesn't take our worthiness. We didn't earn it. We can't buy it. It simply takes this realization of being lost, of being in need, of being broken, and this humility for the rescue to take place. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, God receives none but those who are forsaken. He restores health to none but those who are sick. He gives sights to none but those who are blind, and life to none but the dead. He has mercy on none but the wretched and gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. And so where should this passage take us? What should this passage do? Here's what I would challenge us with. It should change the way that we think and it should change the way that we relate in our relationships. See, for some, maybe there's been a misunderstanding of God or maybe there's been a hesitation or maybe there's just been pride that said, eh, kind of want to do my own thing. I really don't know that I need this relationship. I really don't know that God loves me that much. I don't know that he'd want anything to do with me. And he's saying, hey, let me take you home. I will sit with you in this field, but I will not force you. Can I take you home? Throw anything you have at me, all of your mess. I will take it. I've already taken it. Would you repent? Literally, would you turn to me and receive this grace? And that's for you this morning. 
For some, we've come home. He's brought us home. But if you're like me, uh, at times you still find yourself running for the fence. (laughs) Right? Oh, our heart's prone to wander. Here's what we need. We need to rest. We need to rest in the unconditional, long-suffering love of God. And we just need to confess those areas. God, I still, I hesitate, I resist, I run, I pull, I, I, I rebel, I do all these things, God, but would you, would you step in? Would you work on me in these places? I confess these things. I, I bring them to you knowing that I'm met with kindness, knowing that I'm met with mercy and love. For some, you just need to know that you're loved today. Seriously, maybe you haven't heard it in a while. Maybe you've never really heard it or it's never sunk in that you are loved today by a God that sees you and knows you, all of you. You are not just a lost face in the crowd. Would you believe that? Would you rest in it? Would you rejoice in it? And for all of us, the church, this is for us, but it's not just for us. This should lead us to not only change our thinking, but also change the way we relate in these relationships, especially for the community around us, for those who are still far from Christ, but he's not far from them. Would we be good news people? Would we be known as friends of sinners? Not some holy huddle that just gets in here and kind of does this, and then we go out there and we just, we just kind of do our own thing, but a friend of sinners that we love sharing the good news of this story that we were once lost and now we're found. And guess what? That's for you too. It's for your barista. It's for the person at Publix today. It's for the person at the restaurant. It's for your neighbor. It's for your coworker. It's for the one that you could never imagine that Jesus could save. And yet he says, try me. My arms reach that far. And so would God change all of our hearts and continue to change our hearts to never think that anyone is outside of the reach of his grace because we're not outside of the reach of his grace. I'm convinced of this, that there is nothing better than going from lost to found. Nothing. And in Christ and through Christ, by his love, in his mercy, through his grace, that's exactly what we get. Praise be to God. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for searching for us. Thank you for bringing us home. And God, we pray that you continue to bring more and more lost sheep home. And God, thank you that we have the opportunity to take part in this mission. And thank you that your grace is not biased. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.